Welcome to the Training Design Podcast. 45 minutes-ish of practical tips and insights on training design with me, Terry Pierce of Untold Play. And me, Sheridan Webb of the Training Designers Club. In this episode, we'll be talking about why it's important to have a variety of activities in learning and refreshing ourselves as to how activities help people to learn with a number of examples from both of us and links to Bloom's taxonomy as well to help tie things up. And Terry will be taking us through five different categories of activity that we can use to bring learning to life when designing our own programs. So Terry, for any of the listeners out there who perhaps come from a slightly more technical background or relatively new to training, why is it so important that we have a variety of activities in learning? I think it's, it's really useful for us to think about and not maybe just the people who, uh, who, who perhaps in a way should know better. I think sometimes we, we can all slip into, even if we're quite experienced designers, uh, the idea that it's easier sometimes to keep things with what we know. But I think it is really important, yeah. I think it's really important to, uh, if, we, if we just unpack the kind of episode title for a sec, we're talking about a variety of activities. So there's two things in there, the activities. And that's all about that debate between experiential learning and academic learning. And, you know, there's a lot of evidence to show that people get a lot more out of experiencing things and, you know, thinking about how people's memory works, you know, by immersing themselves in stuff. So the idea of activities is huge. But then in terms of variety, you know, I think if we're thinking about, and again, there are lots of different theories of learning you can start to think about here, but, but all of them really start to talk about how you're creating learning in someone's brain. Um, and people's brains are different, but, um, you know, what may work for one person to create the right piece of learning in their brain, the right little spark in their brain might be different from another. So having that variety, make sure that you're approaching it from a lot of different angles. Um, and I think it also just helps people to, be motivated you know for it to be interesting and therefore for them to be engaged and therefore for anything to to land a little bit more a little bit better sure sure i think yeah it's it's quite interesting what you say because i think i I doubt there's very many people listening who don't agree that we should be putting activities into training but um i think thinking back to perhaps you know my earlier career um a lot of those activities were samey samey mm-hmm. um so you know yes it, you know it was good to have those in but what you've just said there about um we need to think about increasing the variety in what we offer and just doing a similar sort of activity isn't necessarily um going to be the best thing to do we we need to mix it up a little bit so and, and i'm totally with you on the fact that it fires different things in the way that we learn so um Give me, can you give me some examples from what you use as to how the, how the difference um, of activities actually sparks different things in different people? Yeah, sure. So if I'm thinking about a creativity and problem-solving course that I designed uh, for one client in particular originally, but I've developed different versions of it uh, in, in a few different contexts. Um, so got activities in that around kind of physical activities where we actually get people out of their seats and uh, doing things, uh, a, a little thing called the resources game where they're actually having to handle resources and move around and, and, and use them to complete kind of physical tasks. Getting them to think through some existing myths around creativity, myths around, you know, creativity can't be taught and things like that, uh, and kind of busting those myths uh, as an activity. Things like looking for the opportunities around us uh, for creativity and for that one just a simple brainstorm so I think it is important to think about the fact that just because you're trying to do an activity you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater and never do anything that is a kind of traditional mm. well well used activity but it's also then about how you 
do those things well. But, you know, using uh, particular prompts and a kind of good lead in there to help people really uh, be primed to think about how many opportunities there are for creativity in their everyday lives and in their everyday work uh, can just, you know, makes that brainstorm kind of pop. And then puzzles, uh, a lot of puzzles, because uh, if you're going to get people to uh, think about creativity and then actually do creativity and be creative, we've got to uh, create some challenges for them to be creative. So a lot of uh, puzzles around defining what the problem or opportunity is and thinking laterally um, and designing and finding puzzles that that make them uh, jump creativity hurdles, jump through creativity hoops. Getting them to uh, kind of uh, apply uh, a lot of the methods around problem definition or creativity ideas to real situations, so activities where you're taking a real life situation from their work or from an example that I found and applying or mapping that real life situation to uh, a creativity tool or a problem definition tool. Um, and some of those examples being famous examples as well. So a lot of different kind of ways of getting at things there. Um, and for me, when I've done, uh, that's just a kind of little, little brief capsule uh, of what I'm doing with that. But what I found when I've run that with delegates or when I've had other trainers run it for me and they've fed back to me is that people really appreciate the, the kind of change, uh, the constant change of the kind of focus or the, the kind of things that are being expected of them. Um, certainly it's uh, hit kind of learning objectives in terms of the first and second level uh, evaluation that we've done with that. But I, I, I myself can feel in the room that actually the learning's going across. People are able to answer questions to demonstrate the skills to uh, you know go from not really thinking that they can be very creative at the start to being more creative and demonstrating it and coming up with stuff that they're going to use outside of the room yeah now as you've been talking well what came into my mind there terry was um i'm, I'm a little bit older than you but you're probably sure you can remember the crystal maze I can, yes. Yeah, so how they had a physical game, they had a mental game, mm. um, so different people could contribute to the success of the team in different ways. Um, and that's almost what you started describing, I think, there is providing different ways for people to access the learning um, because different things will um, connect with different people at different times. Absolutely. The Crystal Maze is, is alive again. I don't know if you know yeah, that. Yeah, I've, I've been. Oh, awesome. Me too. <laughs> I, took my, I took my associates last year. It was great fun. <laughs> yeah, it is a fantastic little team building exercise. Uh, yeah. Not, che- not cheap, but uh, yeah, a, a really yeah. interesting day. Yeah, not too bad at all. Um, at, the, at the risk of taking us um, down a sidetrack that we probably didn't ought to go down, Terry, um, when we talk about the different types of activities, Dare we mention learning preferences or is that a banned word at the moment? And, you know, Honey and Mumford and all of that. Yeah, well, I I, I do, you know, it is a debate. And I think there are people who uh, still hold with the usefulness of learning styles. Um, I think the evidence hasn't really supported that they are particularly useful if you use them in a very structured way. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of things that there aren't really scientific backing for can be useful as kind of thinking tools. So anything that, that spreads out your thinking and it, yeah. uh, could, could be useful, but I don't think we should necessarily be using it personally for validation and for saying, yes, this is definitely going to work because I've taken into account learning styles mm-hmm. um, because I don't think the science supports it. But, but, but what you're saying is different types of activities do just um, tick different boxes for different people because we, you know, we like different things, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, I think the one thing that models of motivation and models of, of, of kind of learning do have in common is that there are 
a lot of different moving parts to them and different things that people relate to. You know, when I cover when I cover models of motivation, for instance, you know, there's always people saying, "Ah, oh, yeah, that gets me." And yeah, people, that doesn't. So I think you know, just they're, just they're only have starting points, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. An- another podcast, maybe. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I, t- I took you astray there. So um, activities will provide challenge, which aids learning. They help to keep focus mm. um, because we're constantly changing the pace and the style of, of, of things. So uh, um, any other reason? I mean, I, th- I've, I hope that we're talking to the converted in terms of, you know, including activities in your learning. But um, if anyone... Sometimes people need evidence to present to their stakeholders mm. as to why it can't just be a PowerPoint presentation with a few questions at the end. So um, are there any other reasons why we should absolutely be including a variety of um, activities in the training that we design? I think the other thing about it is it's not just about what you, uh, what you choose. It's about how much time that helps people to spend and engage on it. Because if you talk through something it's not only the fact that that kind of talking through style may not suit all of your learners um, and may, not only the fact that it might not engage them it's the fact that it doesn't really take very long and so they haven't spent very long sitting with and living with those yeah. uh, concepts so for me and, and this is where you know if you, if you want to bring in kind of uh, models and studies and start to talk about Bloom's taxonomy for instance so if you, you know, Bloom's taxonomy, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, again, will be really familiar with it, but just to, to very quickly, uh, in case anyone's not, talks about, uh, you know, the fact that the, the shallowest level of learning is people just remembering facts. And mm-hmm. then you, you've got deeper levels like understanding those facts and what they really mean, or being able to apply them in a different situation, or being able to kind of really analyze them or evaluate them, or perhaps even really being able to uh, create something new based on that learning, something new and original. And, you know, those deeper levels are what we're looking for sometimes. And mm. if you just expect people to just jump from, okay, I've told you this thing, I put it on a slide, now go away and do something really complex and involved that's related to the real life situations that you find yourself in with it, it's just not going to work. So it's, it's, for me, it's often about digging deeper by spending time in different ways, uh, which allows people to do those, those, those jumps, those little leaps from level to level within Bloom or, or just generally to a deeper level of understanding and of integration with their own kind of mental models uh, and their own rules and their own behaviors so that when they've come out the other end of it, they're not just like, well, that sounded good, but I'm going to now forget about it. They're saying that sounded good and I got a chance to really sit with it and play with it and think about what it means to me and now I'm ready to go out and use it. Yeah, sure. Um, you've, you've made me think very much. I, I, will, sh- I will save the story for the end. <laughs> um, but you've, you've sparked off an idea in me, and I couldn't agree with you more, to be totally mm. honest. So I'll, I'll share a similar tale when we get to the end. So you talked about, um, you know, more traditional activities, you know, particularly brainstorming. And I guess you're going to include the the very standard sort of flip chart work that we get people involved in. Um, But there's lots of other activities. And and I feel like I'm probably speaking for most of our listeners when um, I say I have my favorites. I have Mm. my go to exercises. Um, I know they work. Um, You know, I I love post-it notes. I love flip charts. I love card sorts. But there is a danger that I only ever think of those. So mm. enlighten me, Terry. What, what other sort of things should I be thinking about when I build activities into my training sessions? Sure. So we've established on previous uh, sessions that I'm quite, uh, quite keen on kind of uh, 
cataloging and indexing all of my stuff, all of the things that I've done. Uh, and I've done that with the kind of uh, activities and different things that I've done over the years with my training design. Um, so I, what I've found is that that really has helped me to think about all the different things that I've done and, and, and what type of things they are and how they might prompt other new ideas. Uh, so for me, kind of that, that evolved into a list, uh, which has been really useful. And it's also now uh, in the process of evolving into a product, which I'll talk a little tiny bit about uh, shortly. But, but through that process, I kind of got to kind of five types of activity uh so these are again this is just a kind of jumping off point for inspiration it doesn't really mm -hmm. exactly uh link to for instance levels of bloom or anything like that but it is different types of activities so you've got things like uh when you're asking learners to assess and evaluate for instance or um you've got asking them to uh, structure things or work with a structure or play with a structure or a model or you're asking them to create uh, or work in a kind of playful fashion from a relatively blank, blank canvas. Or you're asking them to kind of work within a set of rules that you give them to kind of solve a puzzle or win a game. Or then you're asking them to apply or action or do something. So kind of five categories, if you call them assess, structure, create, solve, and do. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, once I start to think about that, that just opens up my thinking straight away. And within each of those, you can have all kinds of other uh, activities. So if I just take one of those as a starting point. Yeah, please. I was going to say, if you want to just give us an example um, yeah. of, of those, that'd be great. Sure. So in terms of uh, working with a framework or a structure, uh, you know, you can uh, ask them to map a journey so map a customer's journey for instance or the uh, a typical day for them and then start applying uh, structure or tools to that you can ask them to populate the model so uh, you know i do things with uh you know if we're, if we're looking at things like insights or uh young's communication styles and you've got people to do a kind of questionnaire or a survey then kind of populating their uh, where their teams sit on that or where they sit on that uh, and talking about the differences and relations and so on and, and that that's where my post-it notes come in really well absolutely. when we're populating models. Yeah, so. <laughs> absolutely. And all of these things, I think, can definitely can definitely work even better once you start to get it really visual, really big, uh, get people moving around with it, getting people creating something that they can then look at on the walls. Yeah, uh, making it more session. physical rather than just visual. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can do any of these on a page, which mm. you know might be slightly more convenient for them to immediately take away, but then you know, we're not necessarily looking for a reference when we're designing mm -hmm. activities. That could be a separate thing. We're looking for something that's going to engage them. But the, just to, uh, to interrupt you, sorry, Tara, I'm very good at doing okay, this. Okay, Is that it, it, immediately I went to, uh, let's use post-it notes and flip charts and populate the model that way. I know you can do it with masking tape on the floor and all that sort of But actually thinking back to one of our um, previous episodes, we can do that via technology as well. So you can actually do that sort of activity um, using some sort of shared technology, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. There are all kinds of apps out there and there's more and more every day, actually. I mean, I, mm. I, I referenced a lot on that previous episode on uh, technology and in, in training design, but uh, since then I was at Learning Technologies just recently and there are a lot more, uh, a lot of them designed for meetings, but uh, a lot of functionality for training as well. Uh, yeah. app, apps that people can use to to share what's on people's phones to the front and vice versa. That kind of yeah. Stuff. So I guess what I'm thinking is, is that what we're talking about here is, is a type of activity which you can actually run in a number of ways. So the activity will stand um, mm. whether you've got tech, whether you haven't got tech, whether you've got a big group, small group. Um, 
so yeah so that that's and as a designer that's really important to me that whatever activities i put butt into a course i know that they're going to be able to work yeah absolutely. so that's that's really good thank you there is um i just took out a couple more examples in that yes just please in that do category. sorry <laughs> um no but it's good i think it's a great discussion definitely you can ask people to customize or annotate a process uh, to talk about how it could be better or how uh, it could fit with a particular scenario by saying okay so if we're going to follow this four-step process for handling a customer call then for this type of customer call what would we be saying during this stage uh, and this stage for instance yeah um certainly get them to uh, try and break the model is one that uh is not so immediately obvious but i quite like i've never done that <laughs> i've done the other thing but i've never done this so do tell me well i think it's quite interesting that, that sometimes uh, if we're trying to present a model or a tool you know we, we're trying to obviously show how it's useful, uh, you know, we're trying not to undermine it. But actually, most people immediately, uh, and this goes all the way back to when we're kids and we get a toy and we immediately <laughs> do things that might well break it. Um, boys, boys do that. Girls don't do that. Well, okay, maybe. <laughs> but, but I think, you know, there's this thing where actually letting them have free reign to do that and saying, okay, try and break it uh, can be really useful because on, on the first instance, you're admitting that it's not an infallible model, and, but mm-hmm. that doesn't undermine its usefulness. You're saying, okay, yeah, yeah it doesn't fit 100% of situations, but if it fits 95%, that's pretty good. Um, yeah. and you're, you're also then opening up space for discussion about, okay, so we found something where the model doesn't fit. What does fit? Or how can we adjust the model to make it fit? Um, yeah. And you're straight into some quite kind of deep and, and, and meaningful uh, stuff rather than just trying to say, no, 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 this model is perfect because it covers mm. everything no matter what you think. I guess that would fit really well with a kind of debate exercise as well, wouldn't it? Where you, you, you can split them up and say, well, you know, you prove to me that it doesn't work and you guys argue that it does work because, again, that's another way of exploring the model in a lot more detail, isn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. And that's, that's actually a great example of what I think happens when you get these kind of uh, almost units of, of, of an, an activity. So if you took, you know, populate the model or annotate the process or, um, you know, some of these are things we've been talking about as a, a little kind of building block of an activity which can perfectly well work on its own, but also then you combine it with another in exactly the way you just did there. Mm. And you've suddenly got something that works even more, that works even better. And, you know, uh, you can, there's an infinite variety of combinations as soon as you yeah. start doing that. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons I love being a training designer, Terry, because it is at its core, it's a very creative process. There are principles that we need to adhere to, but it is creative. Mm. Um, yeah. And I don't know about you, but in all the years I've been designing training, I've never written two courses exactly the same. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So constantly yeah. evolving. Mm. So, t- so t- tell me some more because you've piqued my interest now. Um, have you got anything on, um, you said it's about solving a puzzle, um, working within rules? Yeah, sure. So that's one of the game, one of the um, one of the categories uh, that kind of most closely aligns with some of the stuff from last season's episode on gamification. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. gamification or playing games, but yeah, I think sometimes we set something up. So we say, okay, there's there's a, there's a solution or there's a win condition, and there's certain rules that mean that you you know you can only do certain things within this 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 kind of activity, and you know you've got to work out the best way to make it work. So a couple of examples of that would be. Uh, a branching paths activity. So you get, you know, it's a case study kind of scenario, but there are very specific choice of two or three options at each one. And then yeah. that leads to another choice and so on. 
you can do a kind of uh, a clue breadcrumbs type activity where they've got to solve one clue and it leads to another clue, either physically leads to another clue somewhere if you've got the right environment for that, or you know, in terms of uh, when they've got one clue, you give them the next, and that you know, thematically they're linked. Um, you can do a kind of trading game of some kind where they have to get the best kind of uh, variety of resources. Uh, they yeah. start off with certain resources and they can trade with other teams or they can trade with you under certain rules. Um, and that gets them to think about the value of certain things or what they're really prioritizing um, or creatively about different ways to make kind of sets or get valuable stuff. We go for negotiation games, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, negotiation courses. You can also, I think, within kind of that, that, that realm of things, uh, you know, fits a lot of the contest type stuff, like uh, doing tournaments of various kinds or doing uh, votes contests, like kind of, you know, Dragon's Den or kind of, you know, Strictly type things. Yeah. Um, there's lots of stuff. And again, you know, ju- just going with this kind of building block type approach, I think, you know, you can take one of those individual things and think, well, that's quite simple. But it's when you bring it to life, you breathe life into it, that it actually becomes really, really good. So, for instance, if we think about the, just the idea of having a, a little tournament, mm. uh, this idea of, you know, you have some kind of bracket or people play each other in some kind of structure and that somehow creates a winner. You could bring that to life by connecting to a topic like uh, did that in sessions with influencing skills. So, yeah. you, uh, you know, the idea of a little speed influencing. I think I might have mentioned this. Uh, I think you have. Yeah, yeah. But it's, but you know, this is speed influencing thing where um, they get five minutes to influence them about a topic and then they're on to another, uh, another pairing. But actually yeah. by doing five or six pairings, you've kind of created a little tournament, which yeah. can allow you to compare strategies and see which is most effective. Yeah. I'm just thinking about, um, I did something last year with, when I had people working in teams um, and they, they basically were set up as an origami factory. So they had, mm. um, easy simple and complex models they could choose which one they wanted that they had to do a minimum number of the easy or something I, I think I made it a bit too complicated to be honest um but then it was up to them how they decided which, which models they wanted to make because different models were worth different amounts um and if they wanted more resources they had to pay for them um so at the end it was about well, which team has come out the best which teams have effectively made the most money um, but we were also looking at, um, you know, how they evolved their processes, how they divided the work, how they worked together as a team. So it was actually quite a complicated exercise now, I think, of it. And it's, um, it's one of those examples, isn't it, where you start off with something simple, but you add another couple of layers and it's, um, it can be quite complicated. Um, yeah. and, and, and we know the learning is in the debrief. So we've got to make sure there was time for that activity mm. to run. And we're asking the right questions at the end to debrief that appropriately, or if certainly if we're not delivering it, that we're providing the right questions for the facilitator to debrief appropriately. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I think that's a really good example of the kind of building block approach that, that we've been talking about. You know, yeah, you take these these uh, relatively simple but varied ideas and you combine them and you come up with something that, that actually, you know, really kind of gets people immersed and engaged. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've done some quite similar things and, and, and something that I've often built into those is, is kind of storytelling as well. I think I, I was mentioning in the storytelling episode actually about how I've used it for a team building activity, but I've just recently used uh, storytelling in an activity about designing for customers who customer service people who are dealing with customers who may have mental health problems yeah. um, and getting the, as part of the design people to really think about, okay, uh, let's talk, let's, let's uh, work with some information about 
how mental health problems present difficulties to people in accessing services. But then let's try and tell a story that, that brings that to life and mm-hmm. really get them engaged in owning the story and showing how, you know, Bob can have a specific problem that we've talked about and how that pans out for him in terms of accessing services. And once they're really getting into that story, then they're, they're, they're kind of really identifying with Bob and with all the people that Bob represents. And then that's leading them to think about how they can better provide better service to Bob. So it's kind of a, I mean, it's, it goes back to what I said before about our job is, is so creative. Mm. Um, really, um, we, we have to think about so many things um, in order to make learning come, come alive for people um, at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing I was going to ask you, Terry, and forgive mm. me, this is, um, you don't know this question's coming. It's okay. <laughs> um, you don't know most of my questions are coming, to be fair. Yeah, it's, um, it's always a pleasant surprise, Sarah. <laughs> um, in the Training Designers Club, we often get asked for, has anybody got an activity on mm. X? And I totally understand that because we're often having to design against quite tight deadlines. And if we've got something that we know works, that we can just draw and mm. use, then that is incredibly helpful. However, um, I think what you're saying when we think about these different types of activity, the assessor structure to create, is that quite often we need to be creating activities from scratch. Mm. So rather than just pulling in an off-the-shelf activity, which do have their place, um, but to make that learning really, really meaningful, um, we need to be inventing activities. Mm. Um, so... I think where I'm going with this question is what advice would you give to trainers to invent their own activities? I think for me, it's partly around uh, thinking of the, 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 the kind of kernels around, uh, you know, the, 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 the core thing. So you've got something at its core, like a brainstorm or like a branching paths activity or like a role play or whatever. Um, but you can, you can build that up in a hundred in a hundred and a thousand different ways so it's it's really trying to think about all of the different things and look beyond the details so you know if if somebody were to respond to one of those posts for instance they might talk about the details of this is how i did this activity this is how uh, i made it run but actually Mm -hmm. underlying that is a kind of core kernel of an idea which you could summarize i think quite simply yeah Um, and then you could build back up if you summarize that quite simply in so many different ways. So if you look around at different activities that you've seen work, or you look at any kind of theory, like, you know, going back to Bloom, Bloom is great for thinking about verbs. So mm-hmm. if you look at any kind of presentation of Bloom's yeah. ideas, there's loads of them. If you just do an image search on, on Bloom on Google, there's all these verbs with it. So it's yeah. talking about people validating this or convincing this or arguing this or collaborating on this or editing this or outlining this or articulating this. So all these verbs. Because it's um, usually used in conjunction with setting learning objectives, isn't it? I mean, that's, sure. that's how we know Bloom. Absolutely. But all of those things could be the jumping off point and the inspiration for you to say, well, actually, okay. Yeah. So I'm going to get them to do that. I'm going to get them to try and convince somebody or I'm going to get them to argue their case or to critique this example. Um, so those kind of verbs, I think, are your, are your core doing point. What do I want them to do? Um, which is just that little bit different from, I think, where sometimes we start, which is, and, and, and again, with Bloom, I think, is, is sometimes how it's used, that we, we think we've got this piece of theory, we're going to tell it to them, and then we'll just do something to see if they've kind of got it. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, kind of putting the cart behind the horse, really, a lot of the time. If we get people to 
do the thing and to explore for themselves how it works, then they can learn the kind of bones of, of, of their kind of theory as they're doing that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, go on, sorry. No, I was going to say, as, as I think we both agree, the theories um, are useful and interesting, but they never tell the whole story, do they? Mm. They, are, they are starting points for people's mm. understanding, really. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's looking for those jumping off points, looking for it in other people's work, looking for it in your own work. That's why I do all the kind of indexing and, mm. and uh, you know, trying to, to not forget things that I've done, um, but also stripping all of that stuff back to its core and thinking how you could use that core in a, in a bunch of different ways. And then looking anywhere else you can, like the examples we gave there for inspiration, uh, but mainly thinking about what do you want them to do? What do you want the outcome mm. to be? Yeah. I think you're, you, I mean, you, you're a great one. You go back to first principles, don't you? Um, when it's, uh, and that's what you do. You talk about stripping it back. Let's go back to first mm. principles um, and let's start from them. Just thinking about when I've um, invented activities. And I, again, I see this happening quite a lot in the training designers club. Um, and I've asked myself, you know, I need an activity on this. I thought about this, but it's not quite right. Um, and then someone else will come up with, well, I did this, but it's not quite right. And you go, yeah, it's not. And then someone else will say, have you looked at this? None of them are quite right. But mm. there's something in those activities that you can use. Mm. Um, so that's how I've tended to do that. And usually there's just that missing piece. So mm. I've got this bit of the activity. I've got, you know, I've got the start and I know where I want them to go, but I'm missing the bridge between mm. the two. Um, so again, just um, looking, asking, um, just keeping your mind open, I think sometimes can just allow you to adapt um, what you've got and create something a little bit differently and that's certainly how that's more how I work I think um, and you know most of the time it works <laughs> just yeah. occasionally um, it hasn't quite worked as I wanted it to but you know that's a creative process for you isn't it yeah and I think this thing about inspiration you know people draw inspiration from different places in different ways because we're all mm. different yeah 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 and it is just that that, that simple thing that can and uh, can spark the idea and it's it's having the, the faith in yourself i think but all you know and your facilitator um but it also i think highlights the importance of you know the fact that we do need to test um our training if not um live then we actually need to talk it through with someone else and get it sense checked and mm. just run it by someone else say do you understand you know, how would you run this? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was just one of the things I was, I was going to particularly mention about uh, kind of trying to inspire people and, and, and work with all of that, actually, because all of this that I've just been talking about in terms of the work that I've done to, to kind of index that kind of led to, well, led to various different versions of a kind of uh, a Trello document and a spreadsheet. But what it's now eventually led to is a deck of cards, which I'm going to release soon as a product yeah. Uh, yeah. so i know you've i've talked to you a little bit about yeah yeah they look great our, our listeners won't have heard about uh, about this so um the idea really is that a lot of these uh, kind of kernels these nuggets of ideas as you say stripped back to kind of first principles about them are represented one per card and uh, arranged in these five suits uh, that i've been talking about as five categories and by working with them in different ways, which I'm not going to go into too much depth here, but by using them as your inspiration and, and playing with them and, and laying them out in different ways, uh, you can inspire yourself uh, in general, but also in relation to a particular challenge uh, that you're facing as a training designer, or even if you don't think of yourself as a training designer, someone who prepares mm. a session of some kind to take a piece of content that, you know, if you're being straightforward or, or you know, dare we say lazy, 
about it um, <laughs> then you know could just be five points on a slide but if I want to take that and make it a little bit more engaging and interactive and, and put a spark in it what can I do and then this this is kind of 52 separate little kernels nuggets building blocks to combine in different ways and spark inspiration to say ah actually yes I could do this with yeah yeah and I've and I've seen a sneak preview of your class Terry and I must think I, I must say I think they they look like they're going to be really, really helpful, um, even to experienced training designers like me, because as you say, we do kind of get, can get a little bit stuck in a rut sometimes. And mm-hmm. it's not that what we do doesn't work, um, because it does. And that's why we do what we do. Um, but particularly if you're internal or you're working with the same client um, on a number of projects, it's nice to be able to have that variety isn't it in, in the way that we approach the learning rather than oh well we always do this and then we always do the other thing yeah absolutely people get fatigued uh, and also yeah this is really you know going back to our very first question why is it important it's important to challenge yourself i think it's you know it's yeah. very easy to take something that kind of fits and make it kind of work but we don't want something that kind of fits and kind of works we want something mm. that fits and works yes yeah absolutely so you promised me a tale which you said you were going to say till the end. I wrote it down so that I wouldn't. <laughs> oh, well, it was actually sparked by something that you said about how um, it's no good just giving people um, information on a slide and then asking them a few questions about it and then ticking a box to say, um, I, I get that they, they, they can do that now because we know that that's not true. Hmm. Um, in the half term, um, we went on um, our very first and I dare say our last family snowboarding holiday. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, we went because I'm not um, I'm not a very confident skier. I can ski, but I, I don't go fast. So we thought we'd all try a new challenge together. And it's good to keep challenging yourself. Um, and a few things came out of that, really. The, the first is that, um, you know, what? learning new things is hard. Mm. And we... I think as learning professionals and, you know, it's what we do day in, day out. We help to train people to people to learn things. We, we can forget that sometimes um, when you go right back to, to being a beginner in something, it's a massive learning curve mm. um, and it's not particularly um, a comfortable one. But I think the thing that really struck me is that we had, um, we, we booked five in the end, we, we took four snowboarding lessons um, and the instructors, you know, did everything that you would expect them to do in terms of on-the-job training, which is, you know, something that I've done in the past. So um, they explained what um, they wanted us to do in detail. They demonstrated it um, so we could see when and they were talking it through. Um, then they um, talked us through it ourselves, you know, literally, you know, do this, do that, held our hands, took us down the slope. And, you know, so all the stages if you like um of teaching somebody to do something were there um and you know at the end of the lesson you could do stuff that you couldn't do at the start of the lesson which is great and it made me think if there were learning objectives i've passed i've passed my snowboarding course because i can you know side slide down a slope i can do a j turn i can do uh, i can zigzag across the slope i can do all these things that allegedly make me a competent snowboarder but i can't snowboard <laughs> Not at all. And um, the, the, the teacher at the end of every lesson, Marto, um, he said, you must go away and practice. He said, because this, you, you won't be snowboarding unless you practice. Um, but that's easier said than done when you're a beginner and you need someone's hand to hold quite literally in this case 
Um, otherwise, you just keep falling over left, right and centre and crashing into other people. And it just really made me realise, and it links to um, another podcast I was listening to as well, when they talked about we're called learning and development. And we often forget, or businesses often forget, the and development bit. And with training that we do, you send people on a course, you create a nice piece of e-learning for somebody. Um, that's the training bit, you know, and, and we can do that. We can design that. We can use all those lovely activities to really open up that learning and get people thinking. But people have to practice um, and they have to practice with support. And I think that is a challenge for us as learning designers when we are increasingly given shorter and shorter amounts of time. Mm. Um, we used to be able to do three-day courses and now we're increasingly being challenged to do half a day, which I can totally understand. I know where that's coming from with the, the advent of technology, which we've talked about in other podcasts. Um, you, we can do a lot um, around the learning events. You know, we can mm. curate learning and we can, do, um, you know, we can use technology in different ways, which all helps. But there's a huge, huge difference. And this is what sparked my thinking, Terry, what you said, between knowing and doing. Mm. Um, and I, and I, we, we see this a lot in management development. They know how to have a difficult conversation, but they don't do it. And, you know, what can we do as learning designers to help bridge that gap? And, and my personal feeling is, is that we can only take people so far on that journey, just like my snowboarding instructors could only take me so far on my snowboarding journey. They were happy to help me two hours a day, but ultimately I was not going to improve unless I started to actually stick my neck out and have a go on my own, um, mm. whether I could find other people to help me. So my husband, bless him, he ran up and down the nursery slope so many times he must have sweated buckets because he was running up to help the three of us come down the nursery slope because we just couldn't do it on our own. So um, I think it's, it's just more of a, um, a, a cautionary tale, I think, words of mm. wisdom mm. Um, for particularly if you're a learning and development manager listening to this podcast. Um, you can, we can create the you know, the most robust, most varied, um, most joined up piece of training, which will take people so far on a journey, but it doesn't mean they can necessarily mean they can do it. Mm. I don't know what your thoughts on that. I feel like I've rambled on forever. No, I, think <laughs> I think it's a really good point. I think it's a, it's, it's a, and it's, it's well, well linked to a, a real life story. One of the things that was popping into my head as you were saying it was, I always remember uh, so during the time that uh, Glenn Hoddle was manager of the England team, I always remember him saying uh, when a reporter asked him what about his team practicing penalties, yeah. right, so penalty he said, I don't know, we don't practice penalties because you can't simulate the environment. You know, you can't prepare people for the environment when they're in a stadium full of, you know, 80,000 people and they're all screaming and you can't hear yourself think. Yeah. And I, I, I wasn't particularly old at that time. And I, I, I remember even then, though, thinking that's absolutely stupid. That, that you know, you can't, you can't prepare them for that moment. No. You can at least prepare them for, you know, being really good and confident at shooting into an empty, uh, an, into a net in an empty stadium. Mm. Uh, you know, and it's not the same, but it's something. Uh, it's similar, yeah. You know, so, and it goes back a little bit to, you know, without going right the way back into Bloom and all, all the terminology for the levels, it goes back into that kind of depth of doing something that actually, you know, depending on the time that we've got, we can help them along that journey a little bit. You said, mm. absolutely, nobody could have prepared, 
you know, Stuart Pearce or Gareth Southgate or any of the other people who missed penalties for England <laughs> could have prepared them for, for the intensity of that moment. But they could have done, I think, a better job probably of getting them ready for it by, uh, you know, thinking about all those different stages in the journey about, uh, you know, looking at how other people take penalties, looking at how they fit with their strengths or what they were good at and not good at and building on that and practicing and practicing and mm. practicing and then practicing in situations that are gradually more and more similar to a real life situation and then a real life situation which is perhaps less pressured than you know we're we're not out of the world cup on this one mm, um, yeah so you know I mean, you're never going to be able to simulate that exact situation are mm. you but it stages stages are moving towards it you know yeah yeah and i, I think it does very much reinforce um the belief that we both hold and, and what you've been talking about today is the the fact that we do need to have active activities in there and um, when we are sometimes pressured to cut the training down to the bare minimum, what I see a lot of less experienced training designers do is to take out all the activities. Mm. Um, and really, that's the last thing you should be taking out. Um, yeah. The activities is where the magic happens. Yeah. So you, we, we can't do anything unless we practice it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. Uh, and I think... If, if you're forced to scale things down, as you're talking about there with, with, you know, just having less time with people, people not being able to commit to the time that you would ideally like to really uh, mm. think about the skills, then I think one of the best things I think to do is to think about their entire journey. So linking back to things we said about curation in the last season and also transfer of learning yeah. and to think about, okay, so I've only got them for this long in my session, whatever kind of session it may be, but their learning journey starts before that and it finishes after that. So what can I do to try and make sure they're doing the things that are going to make it into an effective journey before, during and after? Yeah. Yeah. It's quite complicated, isn't it? When you start mm, thinking about it. It is. Yeah. <laughs> People think trains just turn up. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, Terry. So um, just want to summarize, I've, uh, as always, I've been making a few notes as we've been chatting. So just to reflect back to you, the things that I've picked up, um, from our conversation today is that firstly variety sparks different things in different people so the greater variety of activities we can put in there the more likely are to um, reach all the different learners um, that we're trying to to help develop one of the other things i picked up was that um, and i think it's also worth remembering is that activities provide a challenge and we tend to learn when we're raising rising to a challenge um, so I like that, giving people you know, something to actually achieve in the learning session rather than just sitting there quite passively. Um, and also having the change of style and the change of activities will help people to stay focused um, because even if we include activities but they're all samey-samey, people quickly start to just um, not pay attention to what's going on, I think. So that change of activity is very, very important to keep people um, engaged. Mm. So we mustn't stick to the same old things. We must challenge ourselves, even if we know that um, certain activities work. doesn't mean to say that we can't use them and we should stop using them, but let's not just restrict ourselves to that. Let's, let's continually develop ourselves. Um, and you talked about five... Um, core types of activity which i think i've taken down correctly um, which is um, assessing something um, putting a structure to something creating something new solving a puzzle and sort of applying or stroke doing activities and in after your extensive research um, which i know <laughs> you've done uh, most activities will fall into one of those five categories 
Yeah, I, I just interject there actually. Yeah, so it, it is just a thinking tool. It's not meant to be a kind it's of sci- a model. scientific framework <laughs> or model. Uh, it's just a way of categorizing things to help. Uh, it certainly helps my thinking, and I think it, uh, it will help others thinking. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and that all, and as we've mentioned it a number of times, it helps to link into Bloom as well, doesn't it? Because um, different types of topic will lend themselves more naturally to different types of activity, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Although again, it's not a, it's not kind of one to one mapping. Although some of those words are kind of similar to some of the words in in Bloom, it it, it doesn't really map. I, I think that is actually just worth. I know we're doing the summary bit, but <laughs> it's worth <laughs> just saying one little tiny bit on which is that um, although something like Bloom says that you know the, to- the highest level is creation, for instance, mm-hmm. I think sometimes we can say let's start by creating something. That's yeah. fine, and it won't necessarily be right. It won't be you saying you can perfectly create using this skill. But that's fine. We're just using it as our basis. And then through some other parts to the activity, we're going to adapt it, fix it, incorporate the theory, etc. Refine it. Yeah. Great Sorry. stuff. Sorry, go on. Was, that, was, was there anything else on the summary? No, no, no. that's okay. it. Fantastic. <laughs> Good stuff. So we'd love to hear from you as well. Uh, it would be great to uh, for anyone who's listening to uh, get onto the Facebook site and tell us about anything that, they, that this session made them think about or anything they'd like us to think about for future for future episodes or they can get in touch with us directly uh, you can find me by uh, uh, either of my two businesses 360 learning design or untold play uh, and again more details on the show notes and on the facebook page and you can find me the easiest way is to google the training designers club and um, you can join as a vip member or you can just join the free facebook group if that is more your thing and of course we're both more than happy for you to connect with us on linkedin just put a little note that you listen to the podcast um, and we will be delighted to add you to our network definitely it's been great talking to you today sharon as always terry as always and uh, yep yeah, i look forward to our next episode me too